gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman, the Superman Vidcast, the world's best podcast, and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. This amazing Friend. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a plane! It's, it's... Superman! 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 This looks like a job for Superman! Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to the Man of Steel. Hello, welcome to Superman Forever Radio, episode 46. I am your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder, And this week is very different for the show. Uh, Since Superman Forever returned, it has been kind of a personal mission of making the show more personal, a little bit more honest, a show about me and my fandom. And this episode may be the pinnacle of that. Uh, The idea came to me out of this feeling of nostalgia, and the premise was simple drive around to locations from my childhood that were relevant to me as a Superman fan and talk about them and basically bring you the listener along for the drive. It was intended to be a segment and it turned into an hour-long talk. So I am going to present it to you unedited, save for putting the sections in order since I was recording with voice notes on my iPhone, which only allows for about eight minutes of audio at a time before it becomes too big to email. A little bit trickier to to edit. Um, So... It was done completely on the fly, no notes, save for a list of locations. And I talk quite a bit and get quite passionate. So, with that, I am actually going to turn it over to myself in the car. Um, What I'm doing tonight, it's actually fairly late just because I work nights, um, but this is something I wanted to try, something I wanted to do. Superman Forever really is, it's a personal podcast about me and Superman and my relationship to the, this fictional character, what he means to me, so on and so forth, as well as being, you know, constructive. Uh, but from time to time, uh, you just, you want to put it out there, you know? You want to put your thoughts, your feelings, and just be honest. And I think if it wasn't being honest, I would be doing a disservice to the show and, and, and to fandom, my fandom, to be specific. Um, so what I am actually doing, and I probably covered this in the introduction, 
which hasn't been recorded yet. But I am uh, kind of lucky to live in my hometown, a place that I've lived all my life. And that affords me the opportunity to revisit places from my childhood very instantly. Uh, instantaneously, sorry. And what I'm doing is revisiting certain places that I've marked out as being significant in my fandom. Uh, because my Superman fandom with me is... It's, it's different from any other relationship to any other medium that I have. Uh, any other fictional character, anything like that, a song. And that goes way back. And as I started mapping out what this drive would be, the places I would visit... Uh, stop the stoplight. Um, you know, it, 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 I didn't realize how deeply entrenched it was. And what that looked like, I guess, for lack of a better explanation. Uh, so the first place I'm coming up on here, and I'm not going to stop here very long, uh, it's the preschool I went to. Now, I'm not going to pull in or anything. Uh, I'm just going to kind of graze by and continue on my way, just because at 12.30 at night, you don't necessarily want, you know, a cop to come on you, come up on you while you're sitting in the, <laughs> the parking lot of a preschool. Because no matter how hard you try to explain that you're podcasting, I don't think that's going to fly. But up here, uh, here it is, is the preschool that I went to when I was, I guess I was about four years old. It was just before high, uh, high school, just before kindergarten. Here it is, little red schoolhouse. I'll be darned. I mean, it looks exactly the same. Um, some of the playground equipment has barely changed, and that's something that was like 30 years ago. Uh, but this place was very significant for several reasons. One, I watched a lot of Super Friends there. Um, this was in the early days of having VHS. That person's not going to stop. Oh, they are going to stop. And... They had a they had a, a bunch of episodes taped off, so we watched a lot of that. But it's also significant for a very poignant moment for my fandom, the moment that that really stands out. And I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again. It it, it merits retelling. Uh, but the older kids, the elementary school kids, the the second, third, fourth graders, um, prior to school, you know, it's a preschool and a daycare. So prior to them going to school, the parents were they were able to drop those kids off. So they, you know, parents that worked early didn't have to worry about their kids any, you know, getting in any trouble at home or, or walking to school or what what have you. Um, one uh, set of kids, there were two or three, but there were two that really stood out. I don't remember the boy's name. He was an older, older kid than me. Uh, very charismatic, very commanding presence. A little bossy, I guess, but... But uh, he dictated that they would play Superman. And there was a little girl, and I remember her name because of well, the moment that's coming up, uh, but her name was Wendy, and he was Superman, she was Lois Lane. And the moment that I think I realized, I don't know what it is, I've never been able to enunciate what it was I saw in that moment. The, the, the epicness, the, the mythological level of the Superman story and the character and his, his surroundings happened on one morning when, you know, they had been playing Superman for quite some time, uh, were sitting in, in the playroom watching whatever early morning stuff was on. He walks in uh, with this button-up shirt, snap buttons, so that, <laughs> otherwise this would have ended badly, he just goes, Wendy, I wore this for you, pops the shirt open, there's the S-Shield, and I was sold. I was sold right then and there. I was in. And I've really been in, essentially, ever since. Um, and as we 
go a little bit further, I'm passing an apartment building that, oddly enough, it's the same apartment building that prior to going to preschool there, um, I was introduced to the Filmation Superman cartoons, the Superman and Superboy. Uh, I was into Superboy before I was into Superman. He had a dog. How cool is that? He had parents like me. I related. Um, but I also remember we moved out of those apartments, and years later we moved back to those in a different unit, and this was 86. This is, this is actually when the Challenger destruction happened. Uh, but I, I had the croup. I was sick as a dog. Uh, but I would read the book Krypton to Metropolis, or listen to the tape, and I would, and since I wasn't sleeping because of the cough, I would often stay awake at night with a little Voltron flashlight. That was the the Black Lion's head. It could open up to Voltron, which changed the light perspective. But I would reread that book a lot. And with the Challenger disaster really being the first horrible, horrible thing I was aware of, I think that really was a comfort to have that Superman book. Um, because, you know, as children at that time in elementary school, as the lead-up to that launch happened, you were told a lot about Krista McAuliffe, the first teacher in space. It was in Riff, uh, Reading is Fundamental, that would put out a, you know, a newsletter. So we were, we were all very much aware as children, and many schools were watching it live. I was actually in the emergency room with the group when it happened live in front of me. So I always associate those two, you know, the croup, uh, being sick and reading that. Uh, but that apartment building, honestly, not very far from that preschool. A lot of things right in that area that just formatted um, kind of my early perceptions of the Man of Steel. And uh, there's a picture that I put on episode... I don't remember which episode number is it off the top of my head, and I'm not going to look it up while I'm driving. Uh, but it was a picture of me in a Superman shirt. And I, I put the... Superman Forever logo, the stylized F on there, uh, just for presentation, but it, it's me in a Superman shirt. It actually was taken at that apartment the first time we lived there. So, my fandom goes for a long, long time. And so that's preschool and pre-preschool, as well as uh, the Challenger disaster happened when I was in second grade. Um, so I had that book to comfort me, also kind of odd memory to come back, but the kids at school, because I was out for quite some time, and my we lived across the street from the elementary school. That's the same elementary school the kids, you know, the kid with the, you know, shirt busting open thing. That's where they went to, literally across the street. And they all did made cards for me, and somebody did make me a Superman card. So I thought that was really sweet. And our next stop here. It's a Walmart Supercenter now. Um, there's nothing sentimental about the Walmart Supercenter, but this, not only is it, you know, between the previous destination and the, and the next destination, um, this used to be a mall called Northtown Mall. Uh, the relevance of this is it's actually oddly significant to me. Um, the mall itself was popular, you know, in the 70s and 80s, but there's a bigger, you know, more more expanded mall on the south side of town. This is very north. Hey, watch where you're going. Um, but this was the first time I ever saw a comic shop. I ever walked into an actual comic shop. Up to now, they came off, you know, newsstands, or not newsstands, but racks at, at gas stations, at grocery stores, spinner racks, things like that. And the first time I walked in, and it, it we didn't know there was a comic shop there. We were just walking down the corridor, 
And over I looked, and there was a sign that said Comic Empire with Spider-Man on top of it. To which I said, ooh, we're going there. And uh, I, it, it, it was nothing short of a revelation. I mean, just to be honest, I, I know that might be melodramatic to some. But it really did just change the, my world, because suddenly these places existed. It wasn't just coming, you know, get and go, as, as our local convenience stores are were called. Um, they got bought out by a chain called Come and Go. Uh, but it wasn't just that, or, or the local price cutter, or anything like that. This this was a place of, of worship for comics. <laughs> wall to wall, you could, I mean, literally, on the walls were comic books, lining the walls. Um, so... My eyes were open in a big way. I mean, it's something I, I take for granted now, but thinking back to that um, that day, and it would have been right in 1986, and the reason I remember that, on top of it being the first time, the reason I remember it is I just remember everything about this day. One of the most significant things I saw that day on the wall, there were two that just stood out. Um, one was a giant Marvel Universe poster that just featured just about every character you could think of. And one of these days, I am going to find that poster, and I'm going to own it. And two, more importantly, I saw, for the first time, the greatest Superman stories ever told. Um, now, that book ran about $10.95, if I remember correctly, which was steep. It was steep for that time. Um, this was, you know, 1986, and... That wasn't cheap. I mean, the trade paperback concept was totally new to me. Uh, we didn't see those. They were individual issues. I think the first trade paperback I actually owned was Death in the Family, the, the death of Jason Todd. Uh, and that wouldn't be for, for a couple of years yet. So I had to wait until roughly 1989 to finally get that um, that book. And and then, I, I you know, as I've said, I spent a full summer... Well, I spent a lot of a summer. I mean, this was 1989, the summer of the bat, but I spent a lot of the summer reading and rereading that book. Um, just a big, big, meaningful book for me. Uh, taught me a lot. Um, while that moment in preschool, you know, set me on the path, and watching the, the cartoons on Bozo the Clown, the super, the filmation Superman and Superboy, um, kind of, you know, put the seed in, um, then the, the, the kid, and, and just kind of seeing the epicness of Superman on that in that preschool would probably be the water. The Superman, uh, the greatest Superman stories ever told would one day be sort of the education. Um, the cultivation, if you will. Uh, but the next stop is, it's kind of the growth period. Um, I guess, I mean, I guess to, to continue the analogy, you know, you have the seed, you have the growth. The next stop we're coming to is... <clears throat> It's really, it's really. It, this would be the growth, while 1989 would be kind of the trimming, um, the presentation, because it was a little bit more scholarly. Uh, the next stop we have coming up, when I sat down to try this, because I wanted to try something new, and I, this idea kind of stuck out. I'm like, worth a shot. Uh, what are some places? I didn't realize. I didn't realize how much had happened here, Superman-related and, and personal development-related and, and the intertwining of the two. It, to kind of come back to where I probably should have started, the impetus for this episode, the, the, the kernel of the idea, 
started with my 35th birthday, which, as of this recording, was recently. Um, some ages, they just are what they are. Um, 31, not a big deal. 32, 33. You get to 35, that's, that's kind of a, a significant number. It's a noticeable number. And it stands out, and you get nostalgic. Um, and for me, when I get nostalgic on my birthday, you know, I think about specific birthdays that, that I treasure, uh, that meant something to me. And it came back to what we're about to talk about in just a moment, which is my seventh birthday. And as I thought about more and more about that and how much that played into my love of Superman, and, and, and not only that, but my podcasting as it came out, I was astonished at the memories that kind of welled up as a result of just thinking about this location, just, you know, putting some thought into it and defining what it is that was special about the location. It was nothing short of astonishing. And what we are doing is I am turning around because I kind of had a cop on my tail. I wasn't going fast or anything, but he was he was following me with some intent, so... <laughs> Better safe than sorry. And... This is one of my first apartments when I moved out of the house, when I moved out on my own. A lot of good memories and bad memories here. That would have put me about 18, 19. Uh, But where we're going is actually right down the road, oddly enough. Um, It's... (laughs) Kind of simplistic. This is a set of apartments that I would have lived in when I was seven years old. And they're actually very simple, very straightforward. Um, They're all one story. Almost just very thin, long buildings. And they have apartments on each side. And this is a thin driveway. But I, I started thinking about this and... It's, it's odd how much everything is connected in ways that... Until you really sit down to break down that code, they don't make sense. And then when you just think about that, that central theme, boom. But the... There are so many memories here. The first is, you know, that seventh birthday I mentioned. Let me start there before I start getting all sobby and whatnot. And hello, sir. Ma'am? You? Hi? Sorry to disturb you. I got this old woman staring me down. I was going to park there, but, uh... <laughs> I mean, she is really mean-mugging me. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm just going to politely go. Um... <laughs> seventh birthday. Um, I... Shortly before my seventh birthday, by a matter of weeks, went to live with my aunt for circumstances that I'm not really going to talk about not because I'm going to shy away from something personal, but it's not its not my story to tell. Uh, but I went to live with my aunt, who was my mom's younger sister. And due to those circumstances, there was a lot of, um, a lot of pity thrown my way a little bit. A lot of guilt. I don't know. But that was the birthday that went straight to hell pretty quick. <laughs> Because because of that pity, there were a lot of presents, and one of the big ones that, that most excited me was Castle Grayskull. 
And this was 1984. So to give you a little context, Superman-wise, this is when the, the legendary Superpowers show was airing. And Superpowers were coming out, of course. Um, but Castle Grayskull, there was quite a few presents. Due to some horrid communication by my mom, I found out when I got home from school that day, after looking forward to Castle Grayskull all day, that we were going to have a birthday party for me at McDonald's. And what it turned out to be was somebody else's birthday party that I got shoehorned into. Now, I, the, the family was there, and I did get... I was a participant, so it wasn't one of those pity things where I'm, I'm the other birthday boy. It, it was shared pretty equally, but through this bad planning, my mom left directly from McDonald's to work and left me in the care of somebody else. My aunt, who was my legal guardian, and my grandma were not aware of this. Uh, so I got... The superpowers Superman, and along with Batman, and I was kind of an unappreciative little jerk, because I'm like, well, Batman works with Robin, but I feel bad about that. I was kind of a douche. But knowing how significant those figures are, and always will be, that was a pivotal moment. And I remember being left in the care of somebody else, and going to their house, and I had to kind of guard my stockpile of presents from these other kids. And meanwhile, my aunt was kind of pounding the streets. She knew a general area where my mom's friend lived, whose house I... Well, it's a friend of a friend, which is odd. But she was able to track it down, and I'm sitting there guarding my presence, and she finally comes walking down and saves me. And I was so relieved. Because I was not in a place that I was comfortable with or familiar with. I didn't know this, this person very well. I didn't know her kids at all, um, practically. So, um, and it was all just bad communication, but it, it was a different birthday. But that redeemed it, um, her finding me, and, you know, those figures were awesome. Um, the follow-up to that was, shortly after that, the elementary school had a reading fair. So I'm getting deeper into this. I mean, Superman was having adventures on the tennis courts here. Um, the layout is these are two long buildings with a you know apartments one story, very simple looking, almost like think Enterprise nacelles. You know, and in the middle is the swimming pool and a tennis court. I played a lot on the tennis court, which um, it's so hard to talk about a little bit. It held so many memories for me that I wasn't even aware of till I started down this path. I mean, that's where I learned to ride a bike without training wheels, for example. And I'd forgotten that my aunt was there, my grandma was there, and my great-uncle, who's no longer with us, was there. i just forgotten about what an event that had been. But those tennis courts, that's where I learned that, and the tennis courts were where I would go outside to play. Um, if I was playing with action figures, because action figures get lost in grass. It's true. And um, Superman had many, many epic adventures on those tennis courts. Um, all from the, the fertile soils of my imagination. Just, it, it just, for, so out of nowhere adventures, you know? And I, I'm not even going to share some of them. Not because they're bad, but just because... Yeah, Superman could take on Beastman. Why not? Superman could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Skeletor. Certainly. That that limitless um, 
limitless perspective of a seven-year-old was something I came back to when I was thinking about this. And it, it, it was also <clears throat> kind of spurred on um, the memories, that is, about that tennis court by something I bought for myself for my birthday, um, which was a superhero which way book featuring Superman. That is, a, it's like a choose-your-own-adventure with Superman. It was by Andrew Helfer. I had wanted to get that book again for a long time, but I got it around this time at the elementary school where they had a book fair to bring it back to that. And that book fair, I got that book and just sat there reading all the different iterations. And for some reason, that memory popped into my head and I was very enchanted again. I kind of went back to that seven-year-old mentality, which is... If you can go back to a seven-year-old mentality, by, by all means, go into that realm. Uh, because that's a magical time. You're, you're, you know, I mentioned that limitless imagination. There's a lot that can be learned in imagination and in playing. If you're a parent, um, just kind of a side message. If you're a parent, don't discourage your child from playing. Guide them, of course. Turn it into an educational tool. But don't discourage it because there are some many magical things that, you know, if life gets tough, sometimes those little... S- little specks of memory of when you, you know, you had Superman <laughs> fighting uh, Leader One from the GoBots trying to save Tila. Um, could just bring a smile to your face when those things were possible. When heroes were possible. And that that is something that can't be taken away. That's not something that can be taught. That is pure emotion. And it's something to be treasured. And I'm getting a little preachy there, but, you know, it's true. And I stand by every word I just said. Um, Encourage playing. Play with your kid. Get into their world. See what they have to say. And you might be amazed at what they have to say. And But anyway, (laughs) I need to not get off on that long, long tangent. I think I've said exactly what I want to say there. Um, No need to really, you know, beat a dead horse or beat a dead titano. Holy crap, where have I turned into? Okay, I wish I had not taken the wrong turn. Um, I wasn't... I was kind of waxing philosophical and realized that I took a turn down this back road that I didn't want to be on. Uh, It runs out behind the zoo, but I got myself back on track. But I I did remember something off-topic, but funny as heck. Um, My aunt was a practical joker. The aunt that came and found me on my birthday, and she... Took, <laughs> took the opportunity of a news story on NBC Nightly News about the Godzilla, a Godzilla robot to convince me that Godzilla was a real monster. I mean, absolutely sold it all the all in. I mean, fantastic. Said that she the, the, they caught the monster and he was in this big pit and they would drill down to feed him and, you know, they get there and there's a big eye looking at him. And she actually built it up through the night that, you know, he had escaped. And that's what the news story was about, because I, had I hadn't been paying attention until I saw Robot Godzilla. I'm like, oh, that's cool looking. She sold it all the way to the point that she woke me up on a school night to convince me that we had to run, we had to go. She had a cooler, supposedly packed. Uh, I don't know what was actually in it, but she actually got us in the car, drove around the block, and then finally, you know, let me off the hook. That's commitment to a prank, people. I don't care who you are, that's commitment. you got to applaud that level of commitment. Um, oddly enough, the next story, and something that's very important um, to me, to part of the myth of, of what I hold dear about this character, um, also involves my aunt. She made me a cape one day, and I don't remember 
what prompted to do it, maybe just the challenge of making a cape. But this thing was top-notch. I mean, it was... I'd had plenty of towel capes. I mean, I, my, my towel cape adventures were so numerous that I could donate, you know, adventures of a kid in a towel cape to needy kids in other countries. Um, so, I mean, I, I was not lacking in capes made out of towels. Occasionally a sheet. But mostly towels. But this was made out of a, of a thicker curtain fabric. And it wasn't just a square tied in a knot. No, no. This thing had the proper taper of a cape. It was, it, on top of tapering, it... She took inspiration from the Superman Superpowers figure. And made... She bent these... These uh, wire hangers, which I know the no wire hangers bit. But she bent them into a thick C-shaped ring that would sit on my neck. So not only did it have a taper, it would actually sit in the right spot. And this cape was gorgeous. It wasn't the right Superman color, but it was a Superman cape. Um, she took liberties. It was more like Red Tornado's cape, where it was blue fabric with a red trim. And it did have the higher collar. Um, the Captain Marvel Red Tornado type collar. And it uh, she made the S on the back. It was a very simple letter S. It didn't look quite right, but it did have a yellow shield, more like um, what you would see on, on the Golden Age Superman. Uh, almost a, you know how the Guardian's shield is shaped, and add the S to that, the old Golden Age style. But I could not wait to go out and fight evil. So I threw on this Superman hoodie that had Jose Garcia Lopez art, who I adored. Um, I still adore. I think Jose Garcia Lopez is exactly who uh, the artist the artist who defined the look of Superman. I have all but nothing but all but respect for Kurt Swan. Love Kurt Swan. But Jose Garcia Lopez, um, mainly because of this time period, this fertile time period, you know, after I got superpowers when I'm really getting immersed into it for the first time, um, you know, he was doing the, the promotional art then. And there's a lot to that, a lot to how exposed I was because he did the cover for the the Choose Your Own Adventure book. He did the <clears throat> he did the package art for Superpowers. I mean, he was all over the place. And this hoodie, uh, it wasn't just the Superman symbol. It has Jose Garcia Lopez art. I knew it had a headshot, a side profile of Superman, and then Superman flying. And the main chest section was blue with with blue sleeve or was white. I'm sorry, the chest section was white with blue sleeves and a blue hood. But it was the closest thing I had. I didn't have anything with the, the Superman symbol on it at that point. Um, but, you know, I had that cape. I had, I, had, I had it all going on. And I had just learned how to ride the bike without training wheels. Remember that? You thought it wasn't relevant. Ah, contraire. It is most relevant. And it comes with a tip. If you're going to ride a bike with a cape on, make sure the cape gets some wind underneath it or you will be yanked off the thing faster than you think. Now, after that, oh, I remember what it was. I remember what it was that caused her to, to make the cape. I had lost my tooth. I had lost, I don't think it was my first tooth, but it was, you know, it was one of those early teeth where, you know, losing teeth was kind of a monumental event for a kid, especially if you're seven years old. And so she made this cape, and, you know, after getting yanked off the bike and kind of getting the hang of riding around with, with the cape, I went up to the corner of the lot. That's where the old lady was mean-mugging me a moment ago. Now, I've, I've kind of moved on from those apartments because of that mean-mug. I was going to kind of stop and, and, you know, 
I wasn't going to get out of the car and revisit the tennis courts because I, I don't want to explain it to, to, to security guards, you know, I'm podcasting. A little, little too awkward. Uh, but I got up to the corner of this lot where it, there's, there's some sort of medical building there now. But then, uh, you know, there wasn't a privacy fence. There was actually just a rusted barbed wire fence. And this old man and this little girl were there. I kid you not. And they had lost their ball over the fence. And the old man, I guess, I, I thought he was convinced that I really was Superboy, but he, he was just playing along um, for me and the little girl. But he's like, hey, hey, Superboy, can you get our ball? And I handed him back the ball, nodded to him. And as I'm walking away, I remember the little girl just gushing, there's his bike. And so I got to be a superhero. I mean, it's something stupid like returning a ball, but Superman saves kittens from trees, right? And to me, that was... That adulation, that uh, that feeling of helping another, and just the satisfaction that came with that, it's, it's, it's unparalleled. Um, I'd say the only time I felt anything close to it was when I met my wife. And that's when I didn't know it then. I didn't realize it. I couldn't articulate it. Um, I don't think I realized it until way later, but that's when I kind of understood a key element to what I like about Superman, and that's his altruism. Because I wasn't expecting the guy to give me money for retrieving a ball. I wasn't expecting, you know, accolades or anything. It's just, I thought it would be cool to play superhero. And that's what Superman is. He goes out and does the right thing because it's the right thing. And that's something I will always, always, always treasure about the Man of Steel. And one... one, uh one final story about that location. Um, because, I mean, really you're starting to see... Well, there was two, because that Christmas... Um, and I'm sorry, it's a little bit cold, so I'm getting a little stopped up. Um, but that Christmas, not only did I get the Supermobile, which was kind of epic. Um, still one of my favorite toys. I have one now. Not the same one, unfortunately. That, that died a horrible death somewhere along the way, I'm sure. But... I also got <laughs> I got a Fisher Price tape recorder, and I put something on Facebook about this was my podcast software circa 1984. But it's actually true. Um, it was a very simple brown um, tape recorder that was built for uh, little boys that weren't so gentle with technology. <laughs> but I, I would make my own radio shows and or quote unquote radio shows. I, I would tape my own shows, uh, not unlike I do now. But I would. I love that. That just that kind of turned it on, and it was something that kind of continued um, a couple of years later when I got an actual boombox, which was all the rage in 1986. Everybody had a boombox. Uh, it's kind of like you know being a new god and not having a mother box. Something's wrong with you. <laughs> but um, along with that tape recorder, I got two books uh, by Fisher Price that came with tapes. Um, that whole here's the story, and it would chime. You turn the page. One was Batman and Robin, the curse of the case of the Laughing Sphinx. The other was Superman from Krypton and Metropolis, which I mentioned earlier. And while reading the greatest Superman stories ever told really brought my my education, my understanding of the, the mythology to a new level, that began with that. I have I don't know that I ever understood the origin before this. And I don't know that you know, the initial listens were beneficial. Uh, but I definitely love that story. But 
you know, when I jumping back to something I said earlier about when I had the croup and I would re-listen to this book and re-read it and what have you, that was when it started to, to, to catch on. Some of the things I talk about about Superman, some of the things that I like. Not only the altruism, you know, the big chunk. Oh, oh, that's road work. Let's go over that gently. Holy cow, that's like a Grand Canyon in the middle of the street. Um, but, but understanding structurally... He's born on Krypton. Uh, it explodes. He grew up as Superboy. And in this book, it kind of stuck to the Bronze Age origin. Um, and then goes to Metropolis and becomes Superman. Very much the, the structure of Superman the movie. Krypton, Smallville, Metropolis. Um, except we throw in a flying dog, which is always going to win. And Lex Luthor, that's the first time I had any... Any... Imp- not empathy, but... Any sense of character about Lex Luthor. So it, it, it actually, it was very beneficial. I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't want to go through the croup again because that was weeks of just being awful, awful sick. It was terrible. Um, but that was the Christmas that I got those. And now following that, you know, Valentine's Day, we, you know, in elementary school you trade Valentine's and it's very innocent. This was the year that I got... DC Comics Valentines. Once again, featuring the art of Jose Garcia Lopez. And they would actually be images from the DC Style Guide. And I think... I don't think. I mean, I do know that, you know, when I when I put the pieces together, when I thought it through and, you know, justified why am I going to drive all the way across town to this location, I really saw that this was the... the, the really, I could have made you know, sat and talked in this parking lot and talked about this location and how fertile it was, you know, because all the Jose Garcia Lopez art, uh, it, it, it emblazed itself into my memory. It became a part of the way I view comics today. So if I see a Barbara Gordon Batgirl, I think she should look like Jose Garcia Lopez drew her. If I see, you know, a Superman, certainly I want a Jose Garcia Lopez. Batman should always have that, you know, swoop to hit the back of his neck that Jose Garcia Lopez makes. Which, I mean, if you look at it, you'll see what I mean. But I'm just not articulating it clearly. But this was this was adding the ingredients to the pot that would become the, the comic book fan, you know, that, that David Weider would be someday. Which, I mean, I don't know if that's a good thing or not, but it's important to me. And, you know, that altruism, that moment uh, with the cape, all of these are mixing together. And I just realized, holy crap, this was, this was a relevant bit for me. And, you know, my aunt, who I talked about, she not only made me that cape and brought me that moment, she, she you know, she sought me out um, on that, that weird birthday party fiasco. Um, you know, I thought about her. And, you know, her and her Godzilla pranks. And, you know, she passed away in 2008. And I didn't realize, intentionally or unintentionally, how much she had played a part in, in my fandom. Until I started thinking about this. And, you know, I, at, at, her, at her memorial service, I told the story of the cape. And, I, and you know, I just... I, it's... She was, she was a big part of it, and I, I never got a chance to thank her for that. 
which I'm getting into into very awkward territory, and I'm not going to go too much further with it. But I do regret, you know, later in life, when you know, when I was an adult, when I, you know, felt like Superman contributed, you know, something to my moral fiber. Not that I am the most moral, you know, upstanding person in the world. I make mistakes all the time. But at least, you know, the, the parts of me that are good have a lot to do with Superman. And by that, I guess, it ha- by, by proxy, it has a lot to do with her. And I, I really, you know, realized that I never got a chance to properly thank her in the way that I should have. So, I mean, maybe by, by admitting that on the air, by being completely honest about that, somewhere, somehow, you know, that will serve as, as an homage and a, a feeling of thanks. And holy cow, I almost ran over that glass. And, uh, so, okay, moving on a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, as I'm driving, I realize, here I am at the stoplight, to my right here is it's this old gas station, and it's also across from this house that I used to live in. The gas station was a Skelly gas station, S-K-E-L-L-E-Y. Um, their symbol was a diamond shape with a blue background and a red S. And for I could see it from my bedroom window. The light would sometimes catch it at certain times of the morning, so it would flash. It didn't flash the symbol. It just flashed the shape of the sign in. But I would always stare at it, and I always got it confused with the Superman symbol. So, odd little bit. Um, next place, which I'm about to come upon, and I'm not going to pull over this time because it's a public school, but... Um, kind of continuing the fandom and the little trip down J. David Weeder memory lane to my right right about here, here it is is an elementary school I went to when I was in first grade during that year and I I wasn't this wasn't a planned part of the trip but as I was driving back I started laughing because I'm like oh yeah, because I'm I'm on a memory trip, there's things coming back that you know, I just hadn't had a thought, uh, time to think about or re- occasion to. But this elementary school, I was in first grade. Um, this is when I lived with that with my aunt there. Um, but there was this girl who was in second grade, and how exotic was it? Uh, an older woman. But I, I thought it would be cool to to convince her that I was indeed Superboy in disguise, and she would be in on my secret. And I think that proves quite a bit of the ineptitude I would have with the opposite sex in years to come. But the fact that she bought it up until somebody explained to her, another classmate explained to her that no, 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 that's not the case. She, it, it proves it proves that willingness that I talked about, that flexibility. Because I think deep down we all want to believe in heroes. We want to believe in Superman. We, we want him to be real. He's not. Let's be perfectly clear. We're not crossing that line today. <laughs> Give me time. When I when I hit the senile mode, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be chaos with me convinced, you know, completely convinced that Superman is real. But that's that's not today, thankfully. Um, and I needed to turn there. Um, anyway, but I love that willingness to believe in heroes, and that brought out another memory. Just now, we had a family friend who. He was a recovering drug addict. Um, now he's not—he's no longer part of the life, and I'm not going to mention his name. But my my mom um, convinced me by way of 
him wearing a, having a Superman shirt in his house that he was indeed Superman. This is when I was still on the verge. This would have been about a year later. Um, this would have been 80, 85. And this would have been right, actually 86. It was right, it was a while after the croup. So just to give you a time frame, this is a chrono, chron, you know, if we're looking at chronology, you're up the creek. Um, maybe I should do a flow chart or something, but this would have been after that, but he was recovering and... He, he had that shirt, and she so she convinced me that Superman was real, and he was it. His roommate, his roommate was Hawkman, and uh, I remember he actually gave me the shirt, and I guess he went right into character. And the shirt was huge; the shirt was way too big for me. It was an adult shirt, but he goes directly into character and just goes, "Remember, always remember the image of Superman." I bought into that, dude. I thought of it as Jor-El, uh, the scene with Jor-El in the Fortress of Solitude. But, you know, there's that willingness to believe. There's that desire to believe in heroes. And in the real world, we destroy our heroes on a daily basis. Um, now, a lot of the people we call heroes, they, you know, they kind of help with that. Um, but I think, I mean, immediately what comes to mind is Lance Armstrong, who for over a decade was this huge role model. You had the whole live strong idea, and he was just a paragon and somebody to look up to. And then recently we find out, no, um, he he was massively abusing steroids, um, which attributed to all the things we respected in him. Turns out it was all um, it was all a lie. Um, we, we find out things about JFK, who was, you know, who's an inspirational man, one of a great presidents. But we find out he wasn't exactly the most, you know, faithful. He had a he had a thing for infidelity. And with JFK, something like that, it doesn't diminish what he did in the office. Um but with Lance Armstrong, that's a legacy that's completely tarnished forever. And we do this every day. Um there's nobody who doesn't have blood on their hands, metaphorically speaking, or I guess in, in some terms, I mean, look at O.J. Simpson. He was a sports hero, and now his name is synonymous with, with murder and, and, and slow, you know, slow speed car chases. But if you look at Superman, you can't take that away from him. Um, now, I mean, he is a fictional character. You can't tarnish something that isn't real. He's a concept. He is something to strive for, something that, you know, we're not going to achieve. You and I can't fly. We can't have bullets bounce off of our chest. We are limited. But we can strive to help somebody next to us. Um, whether it's it's a homeless person at, at an, uh, you know, an off-ramp of an interstate, or, you know, somebody in an abusive relationship, we can simply stand up for what is undoubtedly right. Um, I think we can all agree killing somebody else isn't right. Um, there are there are scenarios where perhaps, you know, there it's the only retribution. I'm not going to get into that whole debate. But outright killing somebody for spiteful or evil reasons is wrong. I think we can all agree that stealing... You know, breaking into somebody's house and stealing their TV is wrong. Um, things of this nature. 
you know, we can strive for that. And we're not going to be perfect, but we can believe in that heroism. Um, we can believe in that altruism that I talked about. Like the day with the cape. I can still believe that, you know, those little moments, like handing a ball back over a fence, can make a difference because, who knows, maybe that girl went on with that image of the cape and and decided to, you know, devote, you know, be a, you know, have Supergirl as a role model. And not that I was Supergirl, but you know, you know what I mean. But it's, it's the willingness, the ability to, to see heroes where they, where they can be found and to believe in an ideal that's beyond what you and I are capable of. And even though I was kind of being a douche by telling this little girl that I was Superboy, the one at, at the elementary school who bought in, she was still willing to believe it because we want to believe in heroes. And I would almost go as far as to be bold enough to say, we need to believe in heroes. The world is... is, is it's not a pretty place. And that's not news to anyone. Oh God, what did they do here? Um, but it it can only be brightened when we decide that we are going to be that light. And day to day, every day, we probably run into scenarios where we can be that light. And here we go. Here's another elementary school. While I've been talking about this, this was a different elementary school, which is about, it's about a mile away. This would have been later in third grade, fourth grade, fourth grade. Because this was after I found the comic shop. And here at this elementary school, I brought the DC Blue Ribbon Digest, you know, uh, with the Kryptonite, Kryptonite Special, which had all kinds of stories about, well, Kryptonite. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't bury the lead, but having this guide, especially if you look at the back of the cover, there's, there's, you know, kind of a quick guide, a quick check guide on the Kryptonite. I decided I would, at recess, teach a class about Kryptonite, and. I, I decided to have it at this tree right here that you, I'm pointing out that you can't see. It's, it's a very old tree because it's a very old school building. And it has roots that are just due to erosion and just being big big roots in size, you could actually sit on at that, at that size. I, I think looking at it now, I could probably... My, my knees would be at my chin or just below my chin, but I could probably take, make a seat there as well now. Um, but... The thing is, I didn't realize it, but uh, children had, some kids had gathered there. Some kids were actually genuinely interested to learn about this. But other kids had basically gone to the tree to make fun of me. Now, I was too naive to catch on to sarcasm at that time, which is so funny because I've, I've kind of become like the Jedi Master of Sarcasm now. But I didn't catch on that they were being mean. The teachers did. The teachers did, and they stopped it. But it wasn't until... They tried to explain it, I just didn't get it. Uh, it wasn't until years later when I was... I, for some reason, prompted it to remember. I'm like, hey, hey, I see what you did there, acting interested and saying, tell me more, tell me more. And asking, you know, questions that were meant to be thinly veiled barbs. But 
it kind of comes back to what I, I... All of this kind of will make sense, I think, in the end. You'll probably have to listen to this several times, because I'm not working off of notes. I worked off a list of places and uh, memories. This is going completely from nostalgia, from the heart, from the hip. And I'm not going to be doing any editing, so... <laughs> um, except to put these in proper sequence. But, um... You know, I think doing this show and talking about this, talking about the kids making fun of me, is, is, is its own its own reward in a way. Because I've always been, while not necessarily content, I've always been defensive about, or I, I've been I've been very defensive is, is is a kind of a negative word. I've been very adamant about liking what I like um, for most of my life. I haven't always been vocal. Um, you know, I, I don't just, I didn't put it on my, um, wear it on my wrist for a long, long time. Just because I thought it would be better to be subtle and not invite trouble down on me. I kind of kept my head down. Um, but at the same time, I would wear, you know, Gambit X-Men shirts to school. Or Superboy shirts. Connor Kent Superboy. Um... So while I wouldn't just walk out and start telling somebody about Superman, I, 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 you know, I was, it was quite apparent I was a comic book fan, and I took a lot of crap for it, a lot of, through all, through high school. But the fact that I can make shows like this, and there are people who download it on a weekly basis, completely redeems that. And I think by being a proponent of this character, by being somebody who is an apologist, a Superman apologist, copyright Michael Bailey, that I do, hopefully, I, I really hope, I hope, maybe I do bring a little light into the world by bringing this character who comforted me during the Challenger disaster, who um, brought me levels of, of creativity as a kid. Um, somebody who, you know, when life has gotten tough... I've always been able to look to and try to go beyond what I am. Now, I just want that character to inspire other, inspire others. Um, not it doesn't it doesn't need to be me inspiring. Uh, but I want to put the character out on the table, so to speak, so others can find him easily. So others can maybe find that perspective, that angle on Superman. That makes that connection for them. So, have I taken a lot of crap for, for what I like? For, for even... I take crap now! Because <laughs> it's Superman. And for some reason, the knee-jerk reaction is to start bashing on the character. But do I feel like I should ever stop liking this character? Promoting this character in any way I can? Sharing this character? Absolutely not. And and I'm... I think the day I do that, you're, you feel free to punch me in the face. And I, I know, you know, selling violence isn't good, but that's the day I've given up on something um, inherent, something important, something that is beyond me. And, not, and that sounds almost religious, that's not the case, but what I mean is, that's the day that I've lost that altruism I learned with the cape. I've lost the idea that helping others can be rewarding. And I don't think that this is 
because it sounds pretentious for me to say, well, this podcast helps other. I hope so. That would be fantastic. But at the end of the day, this podcast is for my own entertainment. This podcast is for me to just gush about this character. My hope is that somebody does find this character and find something in that character, but not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not even the messenger in some, you know, in a way. You know, I'm just, uh, I'm the, I'm the parchment that the message is written on. Which also sounds kind of creepy. Man, I'm, <laughs> I'm just sound of creepy. The main thing is, to, to kind of bring it to a point. I guess the main point is, this character means a lot to me. He has done, um, in his fictional way, what a lot of real quote-unquote heroes have failed to do. And that is inspire me. That it is to bring a sense of morality to me. And kind of looking at the origins of that tonight has really brought a lot of passion out in me. So I've kind of gone off on some tirades, and I apologize for that. As I said, I'm going to stand by them, though. Um, I want to believe in heroes. I need to. And I think there are a lot of people that do need to believe in heroes. And I think while the world is bleak at times, there's a lot of negativity on Facebook, everywhere you go. It's easy to be a light, to bring a little bit of light to the world. Don't expect to be a spotlight. Don't expect to be the damn bat, to be the bat signal. But it's not unreasonable to be a flashlight, a bat flashlight, or a Superman flashlight. Any little light, it helps. And if we're all trying to be a little bit of light, that will add up. I am convinced of that. And one day, maybe the world won't be so bleak. Maybe there will be kids who get to wear a cape to work, you know, when they're an adult, and just help people all day long. Maybe those heroes can become real. Who knows? Don't limit the realm of reality. But I'm, I'm certainly appreciative that you've kind of taken this drive with me. I know it's it's not a standard podcast, um, it, but it is something personal. It is me kind of sharing with you some of the origins, some of the things that that I feel are key elements to Superman and where I found those elements. So my challenge to you, not only to be that light, not only to believe in heroes, but go find those places, literal or, you know, metaphorical, that inspire you to do good things, that inspire you to be positive and inspire you to be happy. Go find those places and go seek them out Physically, mentally, whatever you have to do. But once you do find them, you know, make sure you mark those on a map. And, you know, whenever things do get bleak, whenever you feel that things are negative, whenever you feel like you're getting old, as, as, as I am, then when you go back to those places like I did tonight... It's just so... It's so refreshing. Um, it's like hiding things in these memories that I didn't know was there. Were there. I don't know what the proper verbiage is. Sorry. But 
Anyway, um, before I get too far off track, I know we still have an episode of Superman the Animated Series that we need to cover. But I, I do want to thank you for taking me on these journeys to those places that have revealed things, um, feelings, perspectives in me that while I hadn't forgotten, they were they were born anew tonight. And I found yet another level of love for the character. And I just want to thank you for taking this drive with me. So I'm going to hand it back to myself... So I can segue it conveniently and scriptedly into into the Superman Animated Series. And with that, we are going to listen to some podcast promos and then review the debut of Livewire on Superman the Animated Series. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion, Krypton... Is doomed! Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. But millions of people will die. Billions! Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. And they protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man rise to the challenge look up in the sky it's a bird what man will wear spandex well one thing's for sure nobody's gonna be looking at your face mom well they don't call them tights for nothing Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com. In the decade of the 1970s and 80s, not even the great city of Metropolis could be spared the ravages of an energy crisis, supercriminal attacks, or disco. The job of protecting the city fell to Superman, whose battle for truth, justice, and the American way made him a symbol of hope for the city of Metropolis. Charlie Niemeyer in association with the Superman Podcast Network, presents Superman in the Bronze Age. Superman in the Bronze Age is a bi-weekly podcast highlighting the Bronze Age adventures of the Man of Steel in various comic titles. Follow along at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com
And our final stop this week is Superman the Animated Series Season 2, Episode 5, entitled Livewire. Written by Evan Dorkin and Sarah Dyer, directed by Kurt Gaeta. And on top of our normal cast of Tim Daly as Superman slash Clark Kent, Dana Delaney as Lois Lane, and Clancy Brown as Lex Luthor, we also get a guest appearance by Brad Garrett as Bibbo! Townsend Coleman as a co-pilot, Lori Petty as Leslie Willis Livewire, Cam Clark as Sid Melkin, and Huanani Min as the ER Doctor. And day breaks over Metropolis with the voice of DJ Leslie Willis complaining about how sick she is of Superman. Bibbo is listening, Lex is listening, and the Daily Planet staff is listening until Perry breaks up their party. The message? Just say no to Superman. And the calls she gets are full of their own opinion, including Bibbo sticking up for the Man of Steel. Go, Bibbo! In the radio station's lobby, Lois wonders how Clark can take her remarks in stride. Clark shrugs it off, but Lois can't wait to interview Willis, which is happening sooner than expected as the radio show's producers usher them into the booth, and to their surprise, they are on the air and in the hot seat. Willis grills Lois about her relationship with Superman, making Clark more uncomfortable than Lois. Outside, near the docks, a crane breaks, dropping eye beams and threatens to buckle, injuring or killing the co-workers, or the workers down below. Clark slips out, telling Willis that she is boring him, and dons the blue suit and red cape, arriving just in time to save a plummeting worker and the crane itself from hitting the ground and injuring civilians, including a baby who is right in the path. Meanwhile, Leslie keeps griping about Superman and reminds everybody about her anniversary event at Centennial Park that night, even as a storm blows in. Later that night at the park, the rain continues to fall and the celebration is off the chain. Lois, Clark, and Jimmy watch as the festivities continue unabated by the weather. Willis refuses to call it off, even with the inherent danger of lights and microphones in the rain, and police intervene as Leslie takes the stage, and she turns the crowd on them. So Superman enters the scene and confronts Leslie. Willis and her mouth turns the crowd against Superman too, and is mouthing off as a bolt of lightning sends rampant electricity through the stage and through Leslie herself, electrifying her, turning her skin and hair blue. Superman picks Leslie up and flies her away for treatment. At the hospital, a doctor says, against all odds, Leslie is alive. Superman tries to leave the hospital and finds himself accosted by television reporters, wondering if Superman did everything he could to help Leslie in light of the attitude that she threw at him. Leslie sees the reporter's line of questions on the television and becomes angry, and when she tries to throw an unplugged radio at the screen, she realizes that electricity from her own body... Body? What's actually kind of appropriate. Electricity from her own body is powering, so she does kind of have a body body battery, and that she can cast electrical bolts around. When the orderlies come to check on her, Leslie blasts them and leaves the hospital by becoming a bolt of energy and traveling through the plug-ins. She reappears in a neon entertainment district and begins to wreck the buildings and signs until Superman shows up. And Leslie says that Superman can call her Livewire, and she forms a costume by ionizing the air around her. Superman tries to get Livewire to come back to the hospital for help. But Livewire attacks Superman and then deposits herself electricity, electric, electrically, into a jumbotron and then turns out all of the lights in Metropolis. Back at the planet, Perry is right at home without electricity and hands Lois a typewriter. Then Livewire appears on screen broadcasting at a billion megahertz and explains that she is basically taking the city's electricity hostage. In the air, a plane has lost all navigation and radar because of Livewire's transmission and Superman stops a near collision. 
Livewire's broadcast gets a little interference and she signs off, apparently surprised by the interference. Livewire's energy from then form Livewire's energy form, pardon me, then goes to the Metropolis Dam where she jumps into an electrical conduit, but Superman has figured out that Livewire needs to recharge. She escapes the rope he brought and starts throwing her electrical power around, momentarily subduing the Man of Steel long enough for her to siphon off electrical energy from the conduit. Superman stops her before she can get charged up, and the fight continues outside where Livewire accidentally pierces the side of the dam while trying to hit Superman, bringing a rush of water out, shorting her out. Superman repairs the dam, then fetches the unconscious form of Livewire, flying her back to Metropolis. And in the aftermath... The radio reveals a charge of opinion, a change of opinion, sorry, pun intended, reveals a change of opinion in the people of Metropolis and that Lex Luthor is paying for her care. Within a center, we see Livewire shackled to a machine, and just before the credits roll, her eyes burn bright with electricity. So, starting right off, as I mentioned, Bibbo, it's awesome that he sticks up for the man of, uh, for Superman. Um, love that he has Superman's back and he's not afraid to voice that opinion, but Lori Petty, as Livewire, her voice is grating to me, and it has been ever since Point Break and the TV show Booker. Comic-wise, she was Tank Girl, so she does have some fan cred, but uh, her voice just gets to me. Um, the rescue of the worker at high speed is breathtaking. Uh, it really took me back to the double jeopardy scene in Superman the movie, because the odds keep getting upped. You know, cats against Willis harsh words. The scene goes from awesome to mind-blowing, and it's everything you want from a super rescue. As for the crowd scene in the park, Leslie really chafes me the wrong way, which I guess is good, because it's what the character's supposed to do, and kind of, at that point, I see the genius of casting Laurie Petty. And of course, she gets zapped by lightning, which doesn't shut her up. Um, I really like that the hospital scene with the reporters didn't have any musical score beneath it. Uh, it's just or, just an organic sound, like rain and the voices, and it really just shows up as a moment where Superman is kind of laid bare, with no true way to prove that he really did try to save Leslie. And speaking of music, when Livewire begins wrecking the entertainment district, there is a really nice bluesy rock theme playing, and it doesn't scream Superman, but it becomes a pretty fun theme, kind of like the guitar riff um, from the main man episodes of Lobo. And, of course, I'm always happy to see a Soder Cola reference. Um, one scene that really got me excited was Superman saving the planes from colliding. Just pure, pure Superman. It had me giggling with joy. There is also a great single shot of Superman standing on a ledge in profile as Leslie's transmission begins to fail. He looks really striking here with that angry, disapproving scowl on his face. Um, going back to one thing I really don't like is that Livewire is defeated by accident. She punctures a hole in the dam, which means Superman didn't save the day. He's supposed to be... Uh, I guess He's supposed to be Superman. Saving the day is what he does. And I would have sat... The episode would have sat better with me if he had tricked her into punching the dam. One subtle change. But Livewire was a character who apparently proved popular enough to make her way into continuity, much like Harley Quinn did with Batman the Animated Series. I am not crazy about Livewire, but overall, I like two-thirds of this episode because we get Bibbo, some really good directorial decisions, a great score, some awesome Superman rescues, and a character in pre-Livewire Leslie Willis that could have been a great recurring thorn in his side. It just falls apart right at the final conflict, but not enough to tarnish the rest of the, of the episode, thankfully. And yes, 
This is the third episode in a row in which Superman fight. Oh, I stand corrected. This is the third episode we've covered in which Superman fights a woman. I'm sure standards and practices were pulling their hair out. And before I forget, the backgrounds looked great. Uh, there were some fresh takes on the same design scheme, and I really felt like the entertainment district was an area that we hadn't seen before but was organically part of the world we already knew. A very good episode. I'm really feeling that it keeps getting better from here, which means we're at the end of another episode of Superman Forever Radio. So I want to thank you for joining me um, and kind of putting up with me talking for an hour in the car. I hope you enjoyed the drive. Uh, but come back next week for something awesome. And until then, I am J. David Weeder. Keep on fighting the never-ending battle. This has been Superman Forever Radio, a NatWorld production. You can find the show on iTunes with backlogs of episodes, where you can also leave a review. The show finds its home at supermanforever.com, and is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. You can friend the show on Facebook at, at facebook.com slash supermanforeverradio, and email the show at mail at supermanforever.com. David can be found on Twitter at twitter.com slash superdaveweeder. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, are all properties of Warner Brothers Entertainment and DC Entertainment. All music and sound clips used on the show are copyright their respective owners and no infringement is intended. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. <laughs>